your tap water safe to drink? PFAS, or PER, or polyfluoroalkyl substances, are a large family of thousands of synthetic chemicals with strong chemical bonds that break down slowly in the environment. They are widely used in manufacturing and can be found in our drinking water. Here to tell us more is Tasha Stoiber, Senior Scientist for the nonprofit Environmental Working Group, EWG. Tasha, welcome to Green Sips. Great. Thank you. Happy to be here. EWG is a nonprofit charitable organization, and it has the mission to empower individuals with breakthrough research to make informed choices and live a healthy life in a healthy environment. Very commendable vision. Tell us about the EWG team, where you fit in, the area of research that you're focused on. Sure, sure. So I am a senior scientist. I work on our science investigations team. Um, EWG is a small but mighty organization. We have about, I think, um, 50 or so staff members. A lot of us are located in um, D.C., and some of us are located in California in a small office in Minnesota. Um, so we have a, a science team, and we have a government affairs team, um, and a communications team. Um, and we've been working on um, PFAS for um, quite a number of years now, I think almost, probably too many years now. Um, we have been working on this um, very tough issue, I think, for the last 20 years or so. And what kind of impact has your organization had on environmental issues and specifically uh, these forever chemicals? Right, absolutely. So we have a number of different resources that are available to people. I think um, probably the most prominent resource that we have is our interactive PFAS map. So you can use that to find out if your drinking water is contaminated with PFAS. So that's a very useful reference um, that I think uh, possibly a lot of people have seen. We have a number of other interactive maps where you can see what the possible sources are of PFAS contamination. Um, those are useful. And our tap water database overall to look at other contaminants in your drinking water um, besides PFAS, that's a, also another really useful resource. Um, so our, our organization has a number of different tools that um, uh, people can use to, you know, research their drinking water and find out about things like PFAS and find out what those might mean for your health. Well, unfortunately, uh, when it comes to science, especially chemistry, people's eyes often glaze over when you talk about these subjects. <laughs> and it's very important to understand this. Uh, and unfortunately, we live in a society, it's filled with chemicals, and they've worked their way into our air, water and soil. Modern chemistry has brought some great advancements, but they also created some chemicals like asbestos, PCBs, Teflon, that turned out to be uh, a lot of harm to the environment and a threat to human health. Uh, PFAS include a broad group of chemicals. Tell us how prevalent they are and are they dangerous? Right, so, so PFAS has actually been around for, for decades now. Um, you're, you're right in that they are, you can think of them as the Teflon chemicals, the nonstick chemicals that are used in, in cookware and bakeware. Um, that's where people are going to be familiar with them. Also, the Scotchgard chemicals, they're used to coat carpets, um, carpets and rugs, and to make them um, stain resistant. If you remember the commercials where they 
dump the glass of wine on the carpet and then it's no worse for the wear. Um, those are the coatings that, that make your products um, waterproof and whatnot. Um, so these chemicals have been around for quite a while, but I think um, people haven't been thinking about them only in regard, you know, people have been thinking about them, I think, in only what they do and that they provide these, um, you know, things that we like to see, things that are stain proof and whatnot. But what we're finding out and, and not even so recently, what we've been finding out, you know, for the last decades is that more and more scientific studies are showing you know, just how harmful they are to our health. And industry, um, you know, they've, they've really done their, 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 uh, a really good job in, in trying to keep this under wraps. Um, you know, it's been documented that they, they've, they've tried to keep these known health harms and known health effects under wraps for many, many years. And so now um, PFAS, I think, are, are really becoming um more known to, to the general public and to consumers in general, it's, it's becoming an everyday word. More people are finding out about them. There's been, um, you know, uh, a movie specifically, you know, a mainstream movie specifically about these chemicals and people are finding more um, that their favorite products, you know, have them in them and they're just used so widely um, like you said, you know, it's anything from stain resistant carpets, they're in our clothing, they're in even in things like dental gloss and cosmetics. Um, and, and all of this, um, you know, because they're so ubiquitous and from their use and from manufacturing, um, they've contaminated our drinking water and the environment quite widely. And the problem with them you know, the thing that makes them so useful in our products is the thing that makes them so harmful to the environment and us. It's that stability, those, they, they don't really break down. They're really, really um, stable chemicals. Um, so they persist in the environment for years and years and years, and they also accumulate in our bodies. And what kind of harm are they to us? Right. And so the EPA recently announced in, in mid-June updated lifetime health advisory levels um, for these chemicals in drinking water, and they are orders of magnitude lower than what they previously released. So we know that they are much, much more harmful to us than we previously thought. They have been associated with, um, human studies have so, shown that they're associated with um, kidney cancer and other different types of cancer, they can be um, associated with reproductive harm, such as reduced fertility, low birth rate, low birth weight. Um, they can harm organs like the liver and kidneys, and they can also um, harm your thyroid. And another thing too, um, you know, so a really sensitive part of your body to these chemicals is the immune system. And I think that's something that people are thinking about right now. So at even very, very tiny levels, they can affect your immune system in ways that might um, reduce your body's response um, to a vaccine, such as a lower antibody response, or they can lower your body's resistance to infection. Um, so that's, so they basically can affect almost nearly every organ in your body. And there's, there's a lot of reason um, 
you know, to, to really stress the urgency to do something about these chemicals because they are so toxic to us at very, very low levels. If these uh, have strong chemical bonds and they break down slowly and they're not really biodegradable, how do you clean these up and re- remediate these and remove them from the environment? That's a, that's a great question. And that, and that is the issue that's so difficult to deal with right now. And so really the absolutely the best answer is to be proactive about it and to, and to actually turn off the tap on a lot of these chemicals. You want to think of this, this huge group of chemicals, you know, we want to think about them as a group and we want to think about using this group of chemicals, uh, you know, to really eliminate all of the uses that we possibly can. Um, We don't really need them in a lot of the products that we have. So it's, it's really, you know, that the most uh, cost effective and the best strategy is to kind of, is to turn off the tap because what's happening is, you know, they are ending up in our landfills, they're ending up in wastewater, um, things like that. And we really don't have, um, we really don't have a a best um, disposal method for them because, you know, they don't stay put, they tend to migrate. um, And that, and that is what leads to things like contamination of drinking water. Well, you mentioned dental floss. Uh, as you said, these are ubiquitous. I had no idea that there were PFOS in dental floss. So just knowing where they're at and stopping that, uh, that flow of chemicals into your body or in the environment is, is very important. So typically when there is a, uh, a pollutant that gets into the environment, there's a source and there's somebody that uh, puts it in the environment. It could be a, a controlled release or an uncontrolled release. Who does that with these PFAS? Who's responsible for putting those in the environment? Right. So when we talk about, about sources, I mean, it's, it's a number of, of different things. Um, you know, it's those, those indirect sources that I mentioned before, where since they're so ubiquitous and we're using them in so many different things, you know, they ultimately end up in our waste streams, like wastewater and, and landfills. And so those are kind of um, indirect sources, but they're also released from manufacturers as, as well. Um, they're released in the manufacturing process. Um, and um, PFAS has, was also used in what's called a triple F foam, or it's a firefighting foam. Um, and that has also led to widespread contamination. So um, that is, currently being in the process of being phased out. Um, that's the good news there is they're, um, the military is not using that in training operations anymore and, and it's on its way to being phased out and there are non-PFAS um, alternatives for that. So that that is one source um, where there's there's kind of an answer there. Um, but it's, it's all of these other kind of non-direct sources where um, PFAS has gotten into all of these different waste streams where basically you just have this slow release to the environment that happens over time. And what's taking government so long to ban these? That is a great question. Um, it's, it's been a long time coming. Um, I, I, I can say that there is um, a little bit of momentum happening right now and that the EPA released their um, you know, PFAS roadmap so that, that there is more acknowledgement of the issue right now. They are taking some steps to do increased 
monitoring and taking the steps to develop things like national um, drinking water standards. But, you know, this was needed decades ago, given just how widespread um, the contamination is right now. Um, but it is, it is a little encouraging that, you know, we are seeing some steps being taken currently. How are the PFOS detected? So there are analytical methods um, and EPA is, is also working on standardizing um, analytical methods. That's another important step for this for things like drinking water, um, wastewater, biosolid sludge. Um, there's different standard methods um, where we can measure these. But one of the really tricky things is, is that we don't have, um, when we do these um, standard measurements, sometimes you're actually missing a lot of the PFAS that might actually be in your samples because you don't have a standard to match it to. Um, so there's things, there's different tests that measure uh, total fluorine, for example, where you might get an idea of um, you know, all of the different PFAS that you might be missing. Um, so that's one, one area where um, you know, there is some uncertainty and that we have standard methods for, um, you know, for, for drinking water for, uh, you know, several dozen of these, but we're actually might not be measuring all of them because there are so many of these chemicals and there's thousands and thousands of them. So there are different um, ways to, to get an idea of how many might be in there. And, but we do have um, set methods for, you know, the most common ones that we can use as indicators of um, uh, contamination in certain, in certain media. The biggest concern I think for individuals would be drinking water uh, because uh, you are finding a lot of these PFAS in the drinking water. So what are the available treatment technologies that are out there to remove these uh, maybe from home drinking water. Can you give us some examples? Yeah, yeah, two things here. So it it depends on where you live and who you are will determine, you know, your biggest source of PFAS um, to your body. So we'll talk about drinking water first. So if you do live in an area that has highly contaminated um, drinking water, that might be a significant source to your body. Um, you know, I, I can talk about home drinking water filters, you know, reverse osmosis filters are going to be one of the most effective ways to remove PFAS, um, but they tend to be a little bit more expensive. Um, activated carbon filters can also remove PFAS, um, but you need to remember to change the carbon filters on time. Those can also be effective, but, you know, some of your simple type of filters, you know, some of your simpler pitcher filters, um, those types, those might not be that effective. So it's best to look for a drinking water filter that is certified to remove PFAS. But I will say ultimately, you know, it, it shouldn't, this cost and this, um, you know, mental burden of thinking about these things in your drinking water, that burden shouldn't be placed on that individual or even communities. It should really go back to the industry that's responsible for the pollution in the first place. They should be the ones that bear the cost of, of cleanup um, and not individuals. Um, and so in coming back to something that you said before, too, in terms of exposure. So drinking water can be um, 
one route of exposure, but people are also exposed to them through food as well. Um, that's another major exposure route, you know, fish, for example, they can accumulate PFAS, um, from, from waterways. And then our food can be, can be contaminated in a number of different ways from food packaging. PFAS is actually used in, in food packaging as well. So it can migrate from the packaging to the food or, um, if food is grown in an agricultural area that has been amended with biosolids that have high levels of PFAS on them, they can also take it up that way. So food is also another route of exposure. And then also um, it's, it's such a complex issue. So if you're thinking about small children, um, you know, they tend to crawl around on your carpets a lot and they tend to be on the ground um, you know, and kind of put their hands in their mouth and whatnot. So actually the dust that's kicked up um, from carpets and rugs, that might be one of the, the most significant sources for small children because PFAS, they don't stay in the coatings on your products. They tend to migrate out and they migrate into dust. And then when you ingest the dust, that can also be another exposure route. Well, we have a lot to worry about in the world these days, and uh, PFOS is another thing to put on our table. So give us some good news. What can the individual do uh, to protect themselves and take this burden off the weight of their shoulders so that there's one less thing to worry about? Yeah, absolutely. So on the bright side, I mean, I think one of the most important things is just being aware, number one. Um, just kind of educating yourself of where these chemicals might be. And then, you know, really um, you, it's impossible to reduce all exposures because you're, there's so many different ways that you can be exposed to them, but you can take steps that will make a difference. And, you know, and those include filtering your drinking water. Um, and in terms of, of food, you can eat less, um, takeout food or packaged food that might be contaminated with PFAS. And then, um, you know, you can avoid bringing products into your home that might have PFAS on them. Um, you know, make an effort to check out the products that you buy, like rugs, um, upholstered items. Um, don't buy things that have been stain treated, are things labeled with PFOS and can you tell they're in things or is that uh, complicated with thousands of these uh, products and chemicals under that category? That's another, another really good question. And it can be a bit frustrating for shoppers because they might not be labeled. So that's why you, um, one might look for things like um, uh, keywords, like this product is stain resistant or this product is wrinkle resistant um, and those would be, um, those would be terms that you, that you want to avoid. So it might not be labeled. There are some, um, you know, major retailers or major stores that have committed to, um, selling PFAS free products. Um, those are good places to be aware of. Um, but it is frustrating to the customer because it, it's, impossible, I think, to know and to find, you know, to make sure that every single product is PFAS free, you know, for, for cosmetics, for example, you can, um, you know, read the label and look and see if there's any ingredients that have the word floral in them or PTFE, and then you wouldn't avoid um, things like that. Another reason to pay attention in chemistry class. 
Absolutely. Right. For all of the people out there that still have Teflon pans, what do you do with them? <laughs> right. So your Teflon pan, um, you know, if I would say mostly worry about um, the future, your future purchases. I would say if you're going to buy a new pan, look for something like that's cast iron or carbon steel. Um, if your pan is in not so good of shape or it's, it's, it's scratched up, you know, I would say not, not use it, but, but how do you dispose of it properly? <laughs> um, I might not have the best answer for that That's uh, off the top of my head because we actually don't have great disposal yes. for any PFAS. Um, so I, so I would definitely worry about your, your, your future purchases and, and definitely, um, you know, look for a cast iron pan. And I would be wary too, because um, some pans might say PFOA free, but they could, uh, PFOA free, but they could in fact be using an, an alternative PFOS in that cookware. So I, I would steer clear of any pans that are, you know, labeled specifically nonstick. I would stick to things like cast iron, carbon steel, glass, things that, that, you know, that, that aren't going to contain that coating. So I want to give you a chance to end us on a high note. Uh, Absolutely. We're, we're about to close. Give us some uh, words of wisdom here when it comes to this issue. Yeah. So, so there are things that a person can do to reduce their exposure. Um, but unfortunately, you know, you, you can't reduce all of your exposure to these chemicals because they are so prevalent in our environment. Um, but but I think the good news is, is that people are becoming more aware of these chemicals. They are demanding of manufacturers, um, you know, to make better products and that we don't need these chemicals in everything that we buy. So I think that's the, the good news is that I think, you know, markets really are shifting um, and that and that people should really push the message that we don't want these things, um, you know, in our products, in the things that we buy. And Overall, you know, it it really shouldn't fall on people, you know, everyday people, we shouldn't have to worry about all of these different chemicals and all of the products in our homes. And, And really, like I said before, the cost of cleanup and the cost of taking care of this problem, it should be pushed back on the industries that have made billions of dollars as a result of selling these products. Um, that's, that's who should be bearing the burden of cost of cleaning up drinking water, cleaning up, um, soil and cleaning up all of this contamination that, that is so widespread. Well, and that's why we have organizations like yours out there that can uh, fight those big battles. So, uh, uh, Tasha, I really enjoyed talking with you. Uh, thanks for joining us on GreenSense. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. That's Tasha Stoiber, senior scientist with the nonprofit EWG, discussing the risk associated with PFAS in our drinking water. GreenSense is an independent radio show that relies on supportive patrons like you to produce our high-quality audio broadcasts that promote innovators with sustainable solutions. Visit the GreenSenseFarms.com website to learn more. I'm Robert Colangelo. Thank you for listening to the show. And catch the GreenSense Minute every Thursday and Saturday at 105.9 WBBM Chicago.